am George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. The call in this month certainly does have an international feel to it. We've been all over the globe and joining me now from New Zealand, I have Tad. Tad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. Very good, very good to have you on. Uh, very much opposite sides of the globe right now, but sharing a common, uh, common, you know, theme, common interest in, in UFOs. And you've shared with me already uh, privately a, a story of yours uh, that goes uh, back a few years, and I think you want to share that on the podcast. So the floor is yours, Tad. Uh, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, UFO close encounter had um, just over thirty years ago, nineteen eighty nine. And um, just to set the scene, um, it was the start of a summer holiday and I was um, traveling around with my now wife on a motorbike and a tent and we were uh, calling at different places, staying in uh, different uh, sort of countryside settings. And this uh, day we found some at a camp outside Stratford-upon-Avon because we wanted to go and see a play. And uh, we found a farmer who let us camp in a newly cropped um, crop field. And it was a big field, and in the middle there was a, a little stand of trees and a pond, and we set up camp there, went into town, got the play, came home, had a cup of tea. Sarah was um, just uh, wrapping up the camp, and I was just doing a little bit of stargazing, and then things got strange. Um, I stood up, and in the trees, I could swear I could see like big fairy lights twinkling all sorts of different colors. And I started thinking, nah, it's got to be, you know, lights in the distance. Um, there's some kind of optical illusion, but that's what it was. There were these strange, like little tiny, you know, kind of big marble sized lights and they were scintillating. And I said to Sarah, do you, do you see that? And she said, yeah, I can see that. And then um, I noticed there was something sort of coalescing or forming behind the trees, just at the top of the tree level. And it was like a big black misty shape. And after a period of time, it resolved into a craft. It was about the size of a double-decker bus. And now these lights were embedded into its surface. It was matte black. It was the shape of, a, um, it was quite strange, a... Um, a die from the Dungeon and Dragons game. I've never played it, but it was like the D20, lots of facets and a bit mm. squashed. Uh, and um, yeah, I realized I, I didn't like this. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want it to be there, but there it was. You know, there's almost a phase where I couldn't take it in or didn't want to take it in, but it was hovering silently above these trees. And then I noticed in a couple of fields, Beyond the one I was in, there was seemed to be like four-wheel drive, big four-wheel, white four-wheel drive vehicles coming towards us. But as they got closer, I realized they weren't four-wheel drive vehicles. They were some kind of little boxy craft, like a, a four-wheel drive vehicle that had its top cut off. And they, they were white and they had a light and they were coming towards us. And it was just about then I thought, this seems so strange that I didn't even think it was a UFO encounter. It was so kind of... Oh, just anomalous and paranormal. It was just in the whole atmosphere in the fields and everything had changed and time had seemed to slow down a bit and everything was quiet. And they started coming towards us. Anyway, after that, um, I noticed along the two very edges of the field, there were these orbs, one each side, and they were sort of they were moving in a kind of bouncing, floating fashion along the hedgerow. 
And it reminded me of a barn owl. I've seen a hunting barn owl once. Just same thing at the hedgerow, sort of moth-like, almost fluttering, floating. And one went out of vision on the left, one went out of vision on the right, and that alarmed me because I thought, oh, I didn't. That's when it went from total discombobulation and you know the lights initially were mesmerizing this whole craft was mesmerizing like a stunned rabbit but all of a sudden like these things going behind me I kind of woke up a bit and uh, I thought oh I think I just need to get out of here and um, I, I went to get Sarah I said hey let, let's go and, and she was just transfixed she was in a trance she in fact the last thing she saw was the twinkling fairy light thing she hadn't seen this craft. So I, I had a really shaker to get her awake. And I said, oh, quick, go in the tent. We're getting out of here. Get my knife. Uh, she did that. And we um, went up the slope of the field right to the farmhouses. And there were some donkeys in a little corral. And they were wickering and quite agitated. But they seemed to calm down. And a bit of a dilemma then. Do you run and get the farmer and wake him up in the middle of the night? And these things vanish, you know, mm. or do you run screaming through the streets? So we just we just stood there and watched. And we watched for quite a while. And now these white things, they were seemed to be doing like a kind of a grid search in the fields beyond ours. I didn't I don't know what they're doing. It, it looked like they were looking for something, but who knows? You know, crisscrossing and taking their own time. The by now the, the orbs had found separate lattice towers, um, you know, the electricity grid, and they were weaving in and out of these they seem to be really interested in the, the power towers mm -hmm. uh, and um yeah they did this for a while the whole thing must have lasted something like a um, quarter of an hour and we're just watching and then they um meandered off down the um the river valley i suppose it's the course of the river avon and um they were almost getting out of sight i'm very relieved at this point and then there's two other craft right in the opposite direction that start approaching. And they've got flashing lights, but then um, you could hear them, you could hear the jet engines. And it was two jets, fighter jets, and they were sort of confer converging on the, the first craft, the D-20 thing. And they got fairly close, but then it just zipped away up in you know, about 35 degree angle. And it got it just at incredible speed and just, it was gone. And we walked back to our tent, and we didn't discuss it, which is strange. And we went to sleep. And we got up in the morning. We didn't discuss it. And we um, packed up, went on our next place to visit. And halfway through the morning, we stopped for petrol and something to eat. And we just conferred, did you see what I saw? And yeah, we saw the same thing. And we kind of, uh, after that point, we kind of put it behind us and got on with the rest of our holiday. Um, you, yeah. you know, Tad, you say that's strange you didn't discuss it. That's quite a common thing that comes up where where two or three people or a small group will have an experience and when it finishes, they don't talk about it. Not not uh -huh. for some time down the line potentially. So honestly, that's that's something I hear I hear quite often in various stories, whether they're they're well known or not. I, I want to take you back and thank you for sharing that. Um you said you when you initially saw the craft you had an uneasy feeling, you didn't like it, you didn't want to be there. You hear sometimes people have these sightings and experiences and they feel very calm, very positive. Was this just a normal feeling of the situation and just your body's natural response? Or was it the, the object, the craft, aware of you and making you feel that way? 
if you understand that sort of question. I do understand, and I would say it is a bit of both. I mean, in that moment, a lot of ontological shock, a lot of discombobulation. The things were happening that I never thought could happen, and seeing things I never thought. It was like a massive transgression of the natural order of things. It was just so bizarre and strange. And it's, uh, how do I say this? I got a sense that something was telling me whether it was the craft, and I don't think it was there was beings in the craft. It was like a weird quasi-technological thing that was like a massive, almost like a huge dramatic drama show, um, was telling me, if you want to stay safe, you, you should you should move away. And um, yeah, so we do did. You feel, do you feel the object was aware of you? Oh yes, totally. Uh, and I even think it's occurred to me that the stargazing I was doing triggered it. It was definitely it was very close. I mean, it was I could have thrown a tennis ball at it and hit it, and it was interacting. Using somehow using the flashing lights to draw attention, keep attention. It was using. Oh, I don't. How do I say this? I suspect it was using our awareness of it to manifest. And do you think it was distracting you from something else that was going on? This is something I've seen recently. A few people mention where are, are these objects there and putting on some form of light show to distract because something else is happening in the, you know, the nearby area. You mentioned the orbs and the, the, the electricity pylons, the towers. Um, I wonder if you've thought about that. Um, no, I've not thought about that, but thinking on it, my honest answer would have to be, I don't think it was distracting us. I think it, it put Sarah in a trance and I don't, don't know why, um, mm. but I, I think I had a continuous form of, awareness of it and it was a show I, I i saw everything that's what i i feel but immediately yeah, after why. that were there any incidents you had of kind of high strangeness if you want to call it that did your dreams change at all or was it very much a, an isolated sighting it, it was an isolated sighting yeah, yeah and no, after no that had dreams. you had had any more no, no, no more, and I don't think I'd want to. Why do you think that is then? Because I've spoken to listeners on this, just this, just this call-in, who have had one sighting, one experience, done. Others who have shared multiple five to ten over their lives with recurring incidents. Why do you think you were there, Sarah was there, you had this experience, and that was it? Do you think it was meant to be that way? Do you think it was right place at the right time or a wrong place at the right time if it, if that's the case i don't i don't know i i think it was there because we were there or attracted its attention maybe not that don't feel anything special about it it maybe used our presence there as a trigger or you know came there because the Conditions were right for it to be able to be there and did whatever it was doing, which I don't know what it was doing, and then the mission accomplished. I mean, <clears throat> I, I wrote my story about 30 years later and didn't speak to anything, anybody about it because it was too strange. Mm. Um, so unless someone had seen it like that, they weren't going to understand it or believe me, so there's no point. But um, looking back now, um, maybe... 
maybe the, you know it was so I could write my story and put it out in the world thirty years later. So I think that these things have different timescales. Dennis, I've I've mentioned that before on the podcast. I don't think it's totally unreasonable that people have an experience at one point in time to share it at a later date. I've mentioned the the aerial school phenomenon and what those children saw, and it's own really really in adulthood the story has caught fire again and people would mm. wonder, well, why why decades later? Well, why not? Is this not a, a good time in society? If, if you know, that Aerial School documentary came out 20 years ago, does it have the same impact in 2004 with all that's going on in the world? I, I don't think so. Mm. Whereas it comes out now, it, it has its place, doesn't it? And that's the same for stories like yourselves as well. Yeah. What I want it's to know, though, Tad, just... Just to just to wrap up the call, I've been asking everyone the same question, and I want to know, in the year 2024, we're, we're getting into the middle of February now, what would you like to see happen in the UFO field this year that you would consider some form of progress? Um, that's a strange question, because what you know, what's progress for us is not maybe progress for the phenomenon and what's happening, and well, obviously... It would be good if we could understand what's going on, you know, a little bit more. Um, maybe a little less focus on the whole disclosure crash retrieval angle. No, that's not important. And I, you know, downplaying it, I think, I suspect that's being put in front of us almost uh, like a distraction. So we focus on that part of the whole field, which, you know, I, I don't deny isn't probably isn't a reality, but I think it's the tip of a huge iceberg. I think the larger part of things is what people are experiencing by the thousand every day. It's been going on for years and years and years. What 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 does it mean? What's it doing to people? What is what is what is uh, the value in all these um, encounters and stories that could be possibly a little bit more um, worked on and analysed to help us all understand what's going on. Excellent. I like the idea. Tad, thank you very much for taking time out your day all the way over in New Zealand to join me on this one. Um, I really enjoyed hearing about your own experience, your sighting. Um, would you like me to put the link for the story within the description of the podcast as well? Oh, I'd like that very much. Thanks, Andy. I'll pop that in there. But Tad, thank you very much and a pleasure speaking with you. Do call again. Likewise. Bye-bye. Next up on the call-in, I've got Kat in California. Kat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate your podcast and your interviewing style. So it's really a pleasure for me to be able to share my time with you and to share my UFO stories with you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kat. Uh, the floor is yours. What is it you want to share? Well, I've been in this UFO nonsense for a while now. I've just um, studying it from the side, from the sidelines. And um, I would say like in the early 2000s, I started when YouTube like first came out, I started doing a lot more research and came upon a couple of interesting places to visit. So back in those days, if you recall, it was just the two Stevens that mostly had the floor, like Stephen Greer and Stephen Bassett. Um, but there was also this guy named James Gilliland at the East Seti Ranch in Trout Lake, Washington. And that's not that far from me. So I thought, you know, I'm going to head up there and just see what's going on because he had posted some videos and there were like these mysterious lights in the sky and 
you know, he'd shine these lasers on them and they would do the flare ups. And so I thought, okay, I, I just want to go and check it out and see what's going on up here. And so I went for a Qigong week, a Qigong workshop on a weekend. And I was sitting having lunch with somebody and we're sitting facing Mount Adams. So this ranch is about eight miles from Mount Adams, which if you recall is where Kenneth Arnold sighted those UFOs or flying saucers. And as I'm looking at the mountain, I'm seeing this bright light flash. And after the bright light flashed, it looked like, this is going to sound crazy, but it looked like doors sliding open and a light in the door and then the light sliding, the door sliding closed. So it was like the doors that you would see at a grocery store, like sliding apart, like on Star Trek. And yeah. so the guy that I was sitting with, we just both looked at each other. We're like, did that just happen? Like, what did we just see? So I don't really know what that was, but that, you know, kind of piqued my curiosity. So that would be my first experience that, not the first experience, but the first experience I would like to share. And then the second one was I decided to, uh, join a group who was going to do the eSETI protocol. So this wasn't Stephen Greer, but they were doing the same protocol. And this was in Joshua Tree, and which is a pretty cool place, by the way. If you ever come to the States, that's the place I would definitely recommend highly. There's a, a place not too far from Joshua Tree where there's this building called the Integratron. I think some guy named George Van Tassel built this and apparently, allegedly, some aliens gave him the instructions on how to build this and he built it without any nails and I guess it's perfectly acoustically um, tempered like in the middle of this dome. You can look it up online, you have to get a reservation to get in now, but so the place is just kind of steep with UFO lore. So we weren't at the Integratron, but we were pretty close to it, not exactly in Joshua Tree, at this very strange, mm, like Airbnb. And I'm sharing a house with three other people, a couple and this other woman. And it was like a five night stay. And on the fourth night, I'm sitting outside, it's probably about one o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting with Faye, the woman that I'm you know, with, and she says there's a flash in the sky. And so I go to look at this flash and I'm seeing what looks like gold dropping down, like liquid gold. And I thought to myself, this has to be a Mylar balloon, like a gold Mylar balloon. And then shortly after she says, just grab your flashlight, we're going in. Cause we hear this rustling and because it's out in the middle of nowhere, it could have been a raccoon, but she hears this rustling. So we run back into the house. And then the next morning, the man who's sharing this space with us, asked what were you and Faye doing last night running around the house and we weren't running around the house we just ran into the house well later that morning we found this very strange little footprint which was probably about seven inches long it had four toes and a clear heel I took many photographs of this there was only one in the trackway I didn't see any other footprints leading up to it so this mysterious footprint appeared and then that night we had um probably the best night of UFO sightings, which was, um, it started out with us in the group at night, five to seven large great horned owls swooped into the area and started doing their call and response. And then um, shortly after that, against the mountain range, we see a light and then the light becomes three lights and the three lights becomes five lights and the five lights become one. And then it becomes two. So we did this whole like lights becoming one, becoming five, like for maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And mm -hmm. then shortly after that, 
uh, fog came in, like a very thick fog, and we all kind of went our separate ways. And the next day, the you know we all went home. So um, I mean, I've so those are probably the best UFO stories that I've that I've had in my life. But you know, and of course, I've seen some strange lights in the sky, but those were the ones that somebody else saw that with me. Like I could share that experience yeah. with somebody else. Yeah. So awesome. So Thanks. It. Thanks for sharing. So let me take you back to the first one where mm-hmm. we're looking at those kind of sliding doors and I've got something in my head and I can't think what it's from. It's going to be a TV show or a movie with that sort of effect. But what do you think you're looking at when you see doors? Do you think you're looking at some sort of actual door, i.e. a portal to somewhere? You know, I it's hard to say because it was it, it looked like... Um, you know, landing bay doors opening, you know, and Mm. then closing again. It was just a very strange thing. And this mountain, so Mount Adams is pretty granite on that side. As far as I know, there were no roads up there. It was a pretty big light. Like if I were to hold my hand out in front of me, it was maybe half the size of my pinky nail. So it wasn't a small light. So in imagining somebody hauling enough electricity to shine a light, eight miles away to make it look mm-hmm. that big. Um, I don't, I don't know what it was, you know, I so heard, let me, okay. let me clear up. Cause you know, I'm thinking maybe I've misunderstood slightly cause I was engrossed in the story. Do you think the, the light or the doors, let's say were physically on the side of something or did they appear to be in the air or would that be too hard to distinguish? It, it, okay. <laughs> it's going to sound crazy, but it, it, it felt like they were, on the mountain, like okay. the mountain had like a quote unquote secret door that opened up. I mean, I'm saying yeah. it and it just okay. sounds like crazy, right? But that's kind of what it looked like. That's that's not uncommon, you know, this idea that certain places have ranges that may or may not contain bases. And again, it's that the language starts to become, like you say, crazy sounding, doesn't it, to anyone without right. a decent interest in the topic that there's alien bases or some kind of secret. But why wouldn't you have stuff deep underground and why wouldn't you ha- have stuff buried deep in a mountain range, whether it's our tech or something else's or a shared shared space? I mean, obviously you must think back to these these kind of moments and times, but if you had to speculate on what you were looking at, what do you think you were seeing? I think it was like a door opening up and a door closing. And there was something inside, you know, that produces a light. Um, yeah. And I know this area is notorious. Like we were instructed to um, not to bring a lot of attention to the ranch. So uh, like if we went into town and talked to people from the town to not really talk about like, oh, we're up at that UFO ranch. But mm. um, I didn't follow the rules. And I actually did that. <laughs> I talked to somebody this woman came out as I was admiring her lilacs and she asked me what I was doing up there. Cause it was clearly um, somebody not from the neighborhood. And I told her that we were at this East Eddie ranch looking for UFOs. And she said, well, please don't tell anybody this, but my husband and I see them regularly. So, mm. you know, it's kind of like this secret thing that people don't talk about, but, um, but yeah, so that's what I thought I saw. So the second one, I'll be more skeptical and ask your opinion. Mm-hmm. You were, you, obviously you were asked, you know, what were you doing? You and Faye, I think it was. Mm-hmm. What were you doing mm-hmm. running about at night and you weren't? Is there any chance those footsteps had been deliberately put there as, you know, a kind of 
Or do you think genuinely something made that footprint? You know, that's a great question. I was thinking somebody could have gone out there and just plopped this footprint down or whatever. Um, but there were no other footprints up to it. Of course, they could have erased it. it was loose sand. Um, yeah, it's very possible that somebody could have done that. It was just this very strange little footprint out of nowhere. I'm only thinking, and again, playing playing devil's advocate, playing the skeptic here, if I wanted to have folks at a ghost retreat uh, and some kind of haunted mansion, you would want to make sure some curtains rustled. You'd want to make sure right. there were some bumps in the night, you know, to make it an authentic experience. Um, and yeah, so I suppose you're always going to have that, aren't you, when you when you go to a retreat? that I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't free. You had to pay for it in some way, shape or form. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So again, I'm not to say that there's anything wrong with that. You know, time, money, accommodation, right. all that stuff, that's fine. But more sceptical folks are going to look at it that way. But for you, you see what you see. You see those lights. Again, anything artificial about the lights? Or did you get a feeling along with it? Um, okay. At first, I thought maybe it was a motorcycle group, like up on the mountains, like driving back and forth. But again, the size of the light was it just didn't look like car headlights or a motorcycle headlight um i again i don't know what they were i did try to drive out that way on my way home to see what kind of road there was in case somebody um had somebody drive by i don't Mm -hmm. know it was it was just a very odd thing i mean there were other things that happened in the sky the week um you know before this um Mm -hmm this thing with the mountain but um that was the clearest one where it was the strangest thing the other things were more like could it be a satellite it could have been a satellite it's near a military base could it have been some aircraft flying around but that one was just the strangest one because there were no there was no sound to it like i don't know if i would hear a motorcycle sound that from that far but um yeah it was just odd and I'll have to ask you a difficult question because it is pure speculation. But what mm-hmm. do you think you're seeing when you see these lights? I just don't know. <clears throat> you know, that's that's the question. Like, I just I just don't know. Like, even like part of the reason why I'm so intrigued in the subject is because there is a lot of I don't know. So wouldn't mm. it be great if we could have a nuts and bolts? Wouldn't it be great if we could shake some non-human intelligence hand? But it's just one of these kind of high strangeness mysteries, right? I've just kind of had experiences in my life where high strangeness would kind of appear and then disappear. And um, I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a very cool mystery, though. Well, I've... I've, uh, They do. And uh, in my day job, right at the end of the day, I've got a... I was with a group of kind of a lot, a lot younger folks and I was asking them, you know, what they were doing tonight and the typical answer of someone between 20 and 25 of nothing. And I was like, okay, you know, interesting. You're doing nothing. And uh, they asked me, what are you doing? And I went, if you really want to know, I've got a podcast. And they were like, oh, what's that about? And I actually let them jump on the Spotify chart. And I was like, if you can guess, I'll tell you. And eventually one of them was like, UFOs. And I was like, it is. There's a few, but it's, yeah, there you go. That's the name of it. Um, and they were like, do you believe in aliens? And I was like, I was like, think of it this way. And I, I said the same thing, you know, what if it's not aliens as we know it? And it was funny that, that, that one of the girls who's quite young, so 20, 
she asked me if I believe in aliens and I didn't say yes or no. I just said to her, what if there was something here that wasn't us, uh, but it wasn't human? And she went, well, yeah, I could believe that. It would just mean it would be something else. And I'm like, yeah, but what if it was something intelligent that wasn't us and wasn't human? And she went, yeah, just like just like an other type thing. But the way she, she was quite dismissive of the alien idea, but not dismissive of something else, which, you know, is that any different, really? So I'm going to dig into that a little bit more with them tomorrow when I get to see them. But yeah, just asking that question of, you know, what is it, I think is very loaded. And when you get away from the the initial, you know, do aliens exist? Are these aliens, you know, what are, do do you believe in UFOs? You start to drill into that, well, what are you looking at? And I think it's still a fair fair guess and assumption, like you say, Kat, to, I don't know. It, right, right. It could be well, A, B, C, D, or, or none of them. Yeah, this is why I really appreciate uh, the work of Diana Pasolka, you mm. know, because she's she's asking these questions, you know, is this something that we are co-creating in the culture at the moment? Or, um, you know, because again, it's like, I, I don't know what that is. You know, I've seen strange things and I don't know what they are. And to be able to just chalk it up to just human technology uh, some of them are just unexplainable. And some of the stories that I've heard from your other Colin guests are just like, uh, it, it kind of leave you, you know, with your mouth open and wondering. Um, but it's it's kind of nice to be able to have that mystery and to be able to ponder that. So, um, yeah. So that's Let me my ask story. One, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and thank you. Let me ask one more question before we wrap up. I've got a few people genuinely waiting as much as I record this. They're here. Sure. Um, I've asked everyone in 2024, what would you like to see realistically happen in the UFO topic, in the UFO field, that you would consider progress? Oh, I'd like to see at least the United States government admit to it um, in a way that feels truthful and real. You know, I do think we've been kind of blindsided and, you know, all these people talking about their experiences and, um, you know, David Grush coming out and, I don't know. I just, I, I would really like some accountability, some kind of, I don't I know I understand like national secrecy and, and um, security. I, I understand all of that, but mm-hmm. there needs to be some accountability. And I think that to me would be a really good thing to, to see and to hear. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Awesome. Well, Kat, thank you very much for calling in and I would You're love welcome. to hear from you again. Hear some more of those stories. Okay. All right. Take care, Andy. So- on the line with me now, I've got Donald in London. Donald, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to have you. Listen, Donald, the floor is yours. And you've mentioned to me you've got a few different sightings you've had. Um, if you want to start opening up with those, that would be great. Yeah. Over time, uh, I've had a few sightings. One in the west of Scotland. I don't know. You might be familiar that when you go to the countryside, you see um uh, when you have cloudless skies in Scotland and I'm sure other places, an amazing sky. Mm. So one night, it was actually the night of my brother's wedding, I was taking a dog for a walk in the in the field not by the house and um, the dog was running around and I was looking up and just looking at all the stars and uh, suddenly I was noticing what I thought was a satellite going across. I thought that's pretty good. And then um, it was going in a straight line and suddenly veered to the right really quickly and I just thought that was very odd because of the speed. You couldn't hear it. It was very high up. But I thought it was odd in that, um, first of all, it could be explained. It could be a fighter jet, for example. You wouldn't mm-hmm. hear. It was too, the turnaround was too fast for a commercial jet. Um, 
but the strange thing was, and I only realized later, our dog, which is a Border Collie, used to every time there was a, a plane flying over, going to or from North America, it would bark when we were outside because it would hear whether it's infrasound, but it didn't on that occasion. Anyway, the second time was probably the most profound um, time. I was in Westchester County um, on the right side, um, the east side of the bank of the Hudson. And I was staying with some people on their big estate and um, I was having some really interesting discussions and I was very much in the moment. Um, and suddenly I reached, a, I was having a nice walk, but it was dark um, with just some lights around and going to the house. And suddenly my eye was caught looking far off, um, a huge light behind the clouds. I thought, oh, it's this lightning or something. And suddenly this giant globe or ball of um, waves and orb was moving very quickly from behind the cloud and suddenly I saw it and it, it was going in incredibly fast and heading downstream as if it was heading down to New York and um, it was relatively low, no more than say two or three thousand meters above the ground and I had no time to react and pulling out my phone but it was um, very profound because it was silent, very large, bigger than a, an A380 in terms of diameter and I'd looked for uh, if there was confirmation that other people had seen something and I saw nothing, which I then also found was very strange. And only later in reading realized that sometimes only some people see things, but that's a, another issue. The third time I was in the Greek islands and was staying with a friend at the top of a, of a hill on one of the islands. And suddenly my friend, sh she shouted, um, look at that, because we were sitting beginning to have a drink. The sun had just set. And there was a smaller orb uh, over the National Harbour, again, about 2,000, no, about 1,000 metres. Um, and it was relatively small, but bright, incandescent. Pulled out my phone and suddenly another one appeared, the same height, same luminosity, same size. So I pulled out my phone to try to take um, some video. But you know how rubbish mobile phones are, especially when it gets darker. But there were two of us who saw that. But suddenly, after a few seconds, they both went out at exactly the right, the same time. The fourth time, I was by a river and I was watching it, but it was in town. And um, looking, at, um, suddenly my eye was caught with a balloon, a white balloon, and it was going along the river. And then suddenly I realized it was, and it was slightly jerky movements, but still going towards, um, uh, going away from me, but against the wind. And I just thought suddenly I realized there was the luminosity was within it and suddenly it shot off and out of my eyesight. And then the fifth time was, I was actually in Egypt going from the airport into the middle of town. And uh, I saw, which I thought was a plane in the distance heading towards the airport. But as we, I was already in a car heading, going quite fast, actually, strangely for Garo, um, this strange shape, because I realized as it came a bit closer, it wasn't a plane because there were only about four lights. It was four lights on the side. And it was a structure that looked like a V, but I couldn't quite make it out. I, again, I pulled out my phone, but we were moving fast. And all I can see is some dots in the, in the phone. And I just thought, anyway, that was the last time I saw anything. Um, but I just thought in all of these experiences, I thought are strange. And I only bring these stories up 
um, to a few friends that I trust because some people still think you were a bit of a loony in even seeing one, never mind five times. So that was the orbs. No, that's that's really interesting, and thank you for sharing that because it does take a lot. And I mentioned this to one of the callers earlier, Donald, that it's it's hard enough to talk about one, but it seems to be if you talk about multiple, people do almost find that harder to swallow that it's not yep. been a one-off thing. Uh, and that's I think you just have to take these things at face value. Five five is five is you know more than a coincidence. You know I doubt that's right place at the right time. Do you feel? either yourself or if you want to speak more generally that people can be predispositioned to either these sightings or these things track certain people what what, what do you think it's purely speculative well first of all i i i think i said earlier i don't like to be hard and fast on things i observe if i experience something i experience it and then try to understand what it was but it doesn't always cut when in a in something like a sighting, you don't know why it happens unless you perhaps have a very direct experience, which in my case, that didn't happen. Although I can say um, the strange thing is various other things have happened to me and my family. Um, My great-grandmother in northwest of Scotland, my grandmother, and my sister and I, and actually my brothers, all of us have had at various times supernatural experiences. And my great-grandmother, grandmother, used to dream of people before they died. They, they would know that their death was coming. Um, but something odd happened, and I brought this up with my sister. when we were, we were quite close in age, and we were playing. We were maybe between 7 and 10. We'd play with friends this game of Ludo where you've got this hemi- hemisphere of, of a dice in the middle and you press the plastic and the dice inside jumps. Well, statistically, you'd have the same um, numbers coming up regularly, roughly regularly. With the two of us, we would have four, five, six, seven, or even eight times a six come up that would give us a free throw. It was only later I realized that how statistically significant or notable that was, that we were, I think, in some way affecting what we saw um, because we, we were so excited at winning, but mm. I can't explain that, but um, I've had a number of prophetic dreams over my life. Um, one of them was the night before Pop John Paul was shot, um, where it was incredibly symbolic. And I mentioned that to people in the morning before it happened. And I've had other prophetic dreams. Um, one of them was a major geopolitical dream, which is, was still happening. And then another time where um, there was another instance where I actually heard something which turned out to be true a few months later. It was as I was waking. And then um, I had something, another dream that prepared me for a professional problem, which in the end prepared me so well that I was able to weather the problem and move on. But I also have to say, because I realized that I'd seen things and I've seen other things happen, um, and my brother says, I've said, I've seen and heard things. Um, I decided some um, to join a group some years ago, not unlike perhaps something like the Monroe Institute, which I have to say I'd love to go go to in America, mm-hmm. but uh, in, a, in a group where uh, we were trying to train to see if we had talents or not. And I, I tried, I, I was asked by the teacher to get up and, and say, practice mediumship. And I was very scared uh, and I just closed my eyes. And then suddenly 
I felt something to my left, but it was I knew it was me, but me was six or seven meters away. And it was something that, that came and touched the edge of my energy. And then I had these flashes of information about this person and their life. And somebody was listening uh, in the group that, that was training. And suddenly it was for her. And it became very emotional for her. And then on another occasion, I was having dinner with friends, some of whom were diplomats. And a friend had brought his wife, who'd only met once before. And suddenly I had the feeling of someone being with her, behind her. I couldn't quite see, you don't see it physically, but I gave a name and then description of somebody who'd had quite a troubled life and it, all of it was spot on. And we, so I bring up these things to say, you asked the question, um, I'm not altogether sure how I've been able to do these things because I don't normally do it. My work is far removed from anything like this. It's very factual always based on evidence. Um, I read a lot, but I I don't normally have a life where I'm connected to this on a day-to-day -day basis. But over the last few years, I've begun to read a lot more and watch a lot more. You know, I watch your podcasts. Um, I could listen all day to Bernardo Kastrup, Kurt Jaimungle, for example, who I think are absolutely tremendous, and other people at Ross Coulthard and Com Kelleher and Leslie Keane, Jack Valley, and Christopher Bledsoe, who I think is very interesting, and Chris Mellon, and a few other podcasts like Project Unity with Jay. Fascinating, all of them, all of you, um, or Whitley Strieber, or Grant Cameron, and I think, or Suzanne Giesman, and Chrissy Newton, and Dan, Dan Abosh-Basoka, um, latterly. And I think that one's got to be learning. I think the moment someone says they know what's going on, you realize that that's not the case. Mm. And I'm not perturbed by all of this, but I'm certainly shaken by different experiences, particularly the orb that I saw in Westchester County by the Hudson, because I, there were no reports I'd looked on the night that it took place. I remember, I know what it, when it was, um, but I know that something happens and that's why the more that happens, the quieter I become about it. Let me ask how has it changed your life? Because I think you'd be used to your average, I see your average person, but someone who displays sort of mediumship or whatever people may think about that goes off and, and does that, as you see, as a profession or as a way of making money or just helping people. But for you, it's very much been a quiet, personal experience. It happens, you move on, you, you think about it, but you don't explore it necessarily or try and take these things further. Has very much been like an observational relationship. How has that, how has that kind of changed your life? Well, I think part of it, and it's a bit like growing up. It's a bit like an education, and you put put it all together. I mean, years ago, I had a digital camera. Maybe it was about twenty years ago, and I was going around taking photos, and I saw what I thought were loads of flecks of dust, and realised later there were darned or tons of small orbs inside buildings, um, or even actually, I was being interviewed for a TV a thing and suddenly there was a little orb that came down and around my head live and I thought that was a little weird but um, I think that how it's changed is it's just made me a little bit more alert I'm certainly sensitive to the environment of places there you know I'm a member of a club and there's some days I don't want to go in as I'm heading to it and other times I go in thinking oh it doesn't feel right another time I'll go in and feel very much at home that's or going to people's houses or whatever i'm actually 
I realized I'd become quite sensitive to environments and that I, I'd rather say no to something than yes, if it feels a bit off. But um, so that I think how it's changed me is I've become quieter, um, more thoughtful about the reality that we have and asking more questions. That's, where would, that's, yeah. Where would you like these experiences to lead Goodness knows. Um, I think that, that, you know, some of the things that happened to uh, one of my brothers, for example, would be a bit scary where, you know, there were footsteps and squeaking stairs and things like that and doors that might try to be opened. Mm. Um, but then again, I was, when I was in Egypt, I went to the Temple of Dendera. I think J Project Unity were excited at this one, but um, I had on my second last mobile phone, um, I was inside and there are different parts of it and it's the last major temple that was built in ancient Egypt quite fast, fascinating, very beautiful building and still painting that's still there but I was going around and um, I had some other friends that were with me and I was putting the phone up to take a photo of certain areas and in the viewfinder you could see this white smoke moving around but you couldn't see it in reality in your through your eyes but I was able to capture on that that one. I was able to capture some smokiness in different parts of that complex, and I just thought it's interesting. But then when I showed some of my friends, they, it was freaking a few of them out. And I think the point of all of this is it's got the potential to scare people. And I think one of the issues that a lot of people say, you know, have disclosure now rather than the slow drip drip. I'm of the belief that a slow drip of news is better to get people to become more awake to what's happening and understand and be learned about it. But I think if people, if it happened very quickly, we don't know what it is. And the more I learn, the more, more I realize that it or what they are determines what happens. And if we look at COVID and the reaction of the wider world, there was a lot of panic. Mm. And I think we have to learn from that, especially if there are elements of what it is or they are that might be frightening that people might frighten people too quickly that's a very good point and i just want to ask as, as we wrap up on this one donald you've been very good with your time and your sharing what would you like to see happen in the ufo subject this year 2024 that you personally would see as progress i think a drip drip of news from people of authority that would either be governments military although i think that's unlikely through the, the body politic, I think, has had a major remove from this. It's too still too much for an odd subject for them. Um, but it may happen through others. It may happen through individuals of people of significance or through science. Uh, luckily, we've got some people of note who are serious, who are actually trying to understand what this is. I mentioned Bernardo Kastrup and Kurt Jaimungle. Um, Ross Coulthard and others, something, but it may happen to you, Andy, or anyone listening to this, that may, something may be so profound and is seen by others that that then goes into the a bigger narrative and then other things happen. So I, I'm not sure I, I want to see something, but I would like to see further understanding of what all of this is, which means people have to have perhaps be less distracted and more and really begin to understand who they are um, and perhaps meditate on what things are, or at least really think about what's happening and does it affect them and their part in it. 
Well, Donald, um, thank you so much for sharing those experiences, those sightings, your thoughts as well. There was a lot crammed in there, but uh, you spoke very well on it. So thank you very much. And I'd love to speak to you again on that. Thank you. We move on on this call in over to John. And John is in Canada. John, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Andrew. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I'm a real fan of your podcast. You and Dan do a tremendous job. No, thank you very much. Listen, uh, John, this one is all about the listeners. Uh, so the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Well, um, I want to talk about some a series of odd events that happened while I was actually writing a, a book about what I knew about the phenomenon for my daughters. And uh, I thought your your listeners might find it interesting. Um if if it sounds like I'm I'm reading from notes, it, it it's true because my power of recall is uh, not the best at age sixty seven. So I'll be referring to my notes as I re, you know re, that's all right. Refer this to you. So when you know I I remember watching uh, Whitley Strieber on a podcast once, and he he made the statement that when you look at this phenomenon long and hard, sometimes it looks back at you. And I think that may have happened to me while I was writing about the paranormal. So my relationship with the paranormal goes back to 1970. I was 14 years old. And it's interesting. I I can remember every detail of this so clearly. And I have such a pathetic memory. Um, I was 14 standing in the front yard of my parents' house in Toronto. And the day was absolutely gorgeous, not a cloud in the sky. When I saw this fairly large sphere, it was uh, looked like it was made of brushed aluminum, and it had spikes to it. If you've ever seen a, a World War II a, a marine mine, mm. that's kind of what it looked to, except the spikes came to a point, and it was tumbling through through the sky. And I thought to myself, uh, well, that's that's got to be a satellite falling out of orbit. And that was really a dumb thing to think, I suppose. Um, because it would probably be red hot if it, if it did survive at entering the atmosphere and be some sort of trail of smoke, but there wasn't. I could see every detail of it. It was, it, it was fascinating, but I've just put it off that it's a satellite falling out of, uh, out of orbit. And that's really where my fascination happened and where it started with the UFO and UAP phenomena. I think most people, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, yourself included, see something, I see a craft, and you say to yourself, that's not of this world. And it, it kind of fuels your inspiration to learn as much as you can about it. Mine was a little different. I just put I just put it down as a satellite, but still I had that thirst for knowledge. So I was a few years ago, I was on the MUFON website, and I was looking at a page which listed all the various types of craft that have been spotted through the years, and there was the craft. <laughs> that I had spotted when I was 14. So it, it made me realize that, uh, uh, th- that was, that was a, a craft. It wasn't a satellite. So that, you know, I, I, I continued researching this topic and admittedly through the years I was busy with my raising, helping raising my two girls and with my career. So I, you know, I, I paid as much attention to it as I could. Um, I remember clearly May 9th, 2001, I was watching a disclosure project with Dr. Stephen Greer, and it was fantastic. And I jumped out of my chair and did a fist pump, naively complain, uh, proclaiming, finally, everyone is going to know the truth. Well, I couldn't have been that wrong. So it couldn't have been more wrong. Um, 
a little bit about myself. I was the middle child with an older brother and a younger sister. My brother was brilliant, but he was a he was an odd fellow. And when we were adults, we didn't really keep in touch. We were kind of estranged. Um, in, in, in 2021, he reached out to me to be his advocate for what we call in Canada medical assistance in dying. It's called the MAID law. Mm. He, he was dying of ALS. So we reconnected. And to my surprise, he was a researcher of the phenomena. We, I mean, we had a great year together. And, and you know, there was nothing I could tell him that he didn't already know. He, he was very well versed in the topic. But it was very strange that we both followed the same path. So my brother's illness made me think of my own mortality, and I decided to write down everything I knew about the phenomena for my my two girls, so that would help them deal with the coming disclosure if it ever happened. I mean, to me, this is the most important story in human history. But the mm. truth is just surrounded by bullshit and misinformation. It's hard to navigate through it. With me, the this, the manufactured stigma of this topic had done its job well and. Um, I really spoke of it. I, I kept it to myself. I was afraid of being ridiculed by my friends, and I, I, I rarely spoke of it even to my family. So my goal was to lay out all aspects of the ph- phenomena and try to provide at least case three case studies for each of those components and provide links to the source material, recommendations of people they could follow and trust, podcasts. Yours is number one, Andy, in the back of my book. Thank um, you documentaries and books to read that uh, uh, they could refer to. So I know the paranormal is linked to the phenomena, but how that, how that is, I, it just baffles me. And I, I think it baffles everybody to be honest. Um, When it came time to write about it, the subject matter to me was obvious. It was Skinwalker Ranch. Um, It was the fall of 2022. And I read, uh, um, two books, The Hunt for the Skinwalker and Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And I, I watched as many documentaries about it as I could find. And then something anomalous happened. The first thing that I noticed was uh, I started hearing a noise in my head. I could best be described as, if you, if you can imagine a, the beating of a, a rotor of a helicopter. And this would happen periodically, but usually three, four times a week, I would hear this, usually outdoors. I remember not long ago, I was reading uh, UFO of God, which I see is in your pile on your desk. Yeah. And I, I almost dropped the book when there was a part where Chris Bledsoe talked about his son waking up screaming in the middle of the night. And he complained of hearing the sound of a helicopter in his head. I don't know if you remember that paragraph. Yeah, well, I, I, roughly, but yeah. So next uh, incident that happened. I went to look after my mom who's ailing with uh, Alzheimer's and my sister and her husband are her caregivers until we can find a home for her. And they were in desperate need of a vacation. So when I got there, odd things would happen. Items would be moved around from where they were left. I had a PSW personal support worker helping me out. She mentioned she was hearing noises in the house. And when she went to investigate, she couldn't find anything to account for them. And uh, when I got home, I'm obsessive compulsive about some things. I have like seven cologne bottles I keep on my dresser in the same order, two in the back, three in the middle, two in the front. I woke up one morning, found one out of place. I put it back. The next morning I woke up and these the cologne bottles were all strewn all over the dresser. 
So that start, stopped and something else started. I have a, I have a souvenir that I've had for about 15 years from a, uh, a fishing trip with my buddies, Blake Tomogamy in Ontario. I got it about 15 years ago. It's a can of ginger ale with the name Tomogamy on it. Um, it started making a noise. If you were to flick a can with your fingernail, it was making that noise constantly. Mm-hmm. And and now that can is somewhat crushed in the middle. It was very bizarre. It just happened in that in that time period of the fall. Uh, one of my friends, one of my fishing buddies, Brent, came to my place to spend the weekend, enjoy the pool, and have a great steak barbecue. He brought with him two one and three quarter inch New York strip loin steaks. And my favorite way to, I don't know if you're into barbecuing, but my favorite way to cook big steaks, and I've done this a hundred times, is to sear them on the infrared burner for 90 seconds a side. And then what I do is I put it in the oven, stick a thermometer in it, and cook it over indirect low heat. So it usually cooks for an additional hour. The steaks come out great doing it that way. So you can go go watch the ball game for an hour and wait for the alarm to go off and your steaks will be perfect. So I, I stuck a thermometer in the, in the steak after I finished searing them and the alarm went off. So I thought it's got to be something wrong with that probe. So I put a brand new one in and the alarm went off again. And I cut into the steak and it was absolutely done to perfection, a medium uh, strip loin steak. And I was really glad that my friend Brent was there because he was a chef. He knew that this was impossible. You can't cook an inch and three quarter inch steak in 180 seconds. It just can't be done. So it was a bizarre incident. So I went to a, I went to a show with Brent and his wife one day and I went back to their place for drinks. Lisa, his wife handed me her phone with a picture of a, a, a friend of hers and asked me if I'd be interested in going on a date with her. I can't be picky at my age. So I said, sure. So I passed the phone back to her. And I started the hour and a half drive home back to where I live. And Lisa called me up all excited. She says, you're not going to believe what happened. After I left, her phone began to malfunction and she was locked out of it. And then there was a her, the intercom at her condo buzzed and it was the police. And they said that they had received a 911 call. There was nobody nobody on the phone call, but they received it and they investigated it. And they asked to see her phone, and there was no phone call showing as outgoing on her phone. And that reminded me very much of something, if you watch the Skinwalker series, happened yeah. to one of their, uh, I think he was a security, in charge of security there, Caleb. Yeah, and Caleb Bedship. A very similar thing happened to him, which I found intriguing. Um, things got a little more serious uh, one day when I was out in my backyard and I decided to weed some, whack some weeds near my back fence line. Uh, as I was whacking the weeds, I was suddenly swarmed by hornets and received over 50 bites. I kept my phone in my hand with 911 ready to call, but fortunately I, I, I didn't ex- experience any problems. Um, but something about this event seemed a little surreal. So I went back to, to my book and looked at what I was writing about. And I was writing about Skinwalker Ranch and the transition from Robert Bigelow team to the Fugle team. And I wrote, and I'm quoting out of my book, a new team of scientists was coming and they would prove to have the ability to poke the hornet's nest to provoke a response 
which is one of Travis uh, Taylor's popular sayings. It was just uh, a very bizarre coincidence. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I put on my bug jacket and went to the scene of the crime, brandishing an insecticide spray spray bomb to exact my revenge, and I couldn't find any sign of the hornet's nest. Um, I'm going to skip over that part because it's still a little fresh about the death of my brother and what he told me. So, no, of I'll course. Just, I'll just um, proceed to New Year's Day, 2023. I just dropped off my dinner date, and I was heading home. I decided to take uh, Highway two, 2 to my to my town. A few years prior to that, on New Year's Day, I was involved in an accident. A woman lost control of her vehicle on a bend due to black ice. And I managed to avoid her, but she ended up in a farmer's field upside down. And I helped her daughter and her annoying dog who was trying to bite me out of the vehicle, as well as her. And I, I and, and pre- back to present day, I was approaching that same bend. And I reminded him, I actually verbalized it. I said, watch what you're doing. This is where you had an accident. This is where it happened. And something out of the corner of my eye on the north side, I, I, I saw something big was running at my vehicle. It was black and white and ran like a dog. And what was peculiar about it, it was dust. But I, I should have been able to identify it as a dog, but I couldn't. But I was forced to swerve to avoid this dog into the eastbound lane. And I pulled it onto the shoulder and looked back. There was no dog. Um, things got a little more serious uh, when I went to visit my daughter. She lives in a, med- uh, a military town. Her husband is in the Special Forces. Her husband actually saw uh, an orb while he was on a tra- training exercise and uh, they couldn't make it down for Christmas. So I went to visit them and to exchange gifts. And I, I gave her her copy of the book, which was quite, quite a surprise to her. And her husband actually got a little emotional. He was quite affected by the sighting he had. And he said, you know, now I have someone I can, I can talk to about this. So shortly after my visit, they had spotted the UFO one evening in the sky And as my daughter tells the story, she said she woke up in the middle of the night and she was absolutely paralyzed. And she couldn't scream. She couldn't call out. And she felt like something was inside her head. Something was was there with her, another entity. And she mentioned that she heard this rhythmic sound in her head. And I suggested, when did you add that it sound like a helicopter blade? And she said, yes. (laughs) So this fortunately went away, but she was terrified, and when her husband was deployed overseas, she moved back with her mom, my ex-wife, uh, because she didn't want to stay in the house. So she stayed there for a month. Um, I felt terrible. I thought perhaps I had brought this upon them with these strange events that were, were happening around me. To this point, the events had been somewhat innocuous, but that was fairly serious. After this, uh, Andy, things calmed down. I, you know, my book was done. The noise in my head stopped, as did these strange events. And I was listening to Matt Ford. That's another podcast I watch. Mm. And uh, he talked about strange events happened to him when he started his deep dive into the phenomena. He also talked about the Soul Foundation Symposium, which he attended. Yep. And they actually talked about how common it was to have high strangeness happen to people that study the phenomena and that they were concerned that once disclosure happens, these type of events could become commonplace. 
Mm. And that would be problematic, of course. Um, I found an email address for Brandon Fugel, the owner of Skinwalker Ranch, and I sent him a brief description of the events that had manifested while I was just merely writing about the ranch. I really didn't expect to hear back from him. I mean, he's a real estate billionaire, and I didn't expect him to reach out to me, but he did. And he did right away, within three hours. And it kind of led me to believe this wasn't the first time he had heard this story, this type of story. And he uh, hooked me up with Eric Bard when I gave him a, my totally unscientific accounting of what happened. And they, they called it an interesting data point. So that's, that's my story, Andy. That's uh, what I went through when I was uh, writing this book for my, my kids. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, fascinating to listen to. And I'll just say to get a response from Brandon Fugel after three hours, it took me about three months and probably about 300 emails to him to get him to respond. But yeah, you're right. He's a, a very busy chap. Um, very nice though. And a, a couple of questions because we don't have too long. I need to get on to the next call, John. And, and you've sure. done a wonderful job of summarizing everything as well. You mentioned quite early on that the the UFO topic, and I suppose you can say the paranormal or any any of that kind of esoteric, is filled with you know BS and disinformation. How have you navigated that? Because I think a lot of that can be subjective, and depending on the person themselves, what they choose to believe, what they choose not to believe. Personally, how have you kind of navigated that minefield? Well. I think the best way I can explain it is to use your life skills. I mean, everyone should have a BS meter. And mm. I spent I spent my career in sales and sales management. So I know BS when I hear it. <laughs> and, you know, and I think I think these days uh, people like yourself can play can play a role. And I've heard people that call in and ask your opinion on books they should read. And I think you tend to not want to do that. But I think it's it would be very important. And you do you do comment when there's a very good book, you you somewhat endorse it. And I think that's an important role for people that have well-respected podcasts like yourself to kind of guide people um, gently into, you know, credible books, credible people, credible podcasts that they can be watching. That would be my advice. No, that's fair. And do you know what? I think even even recently, I don't mean that's fair that I'm great and I should recommend things, but you know, that idea that, people should take advice and whatnot but it's very much here's what i think but people have to make up their own mind i recommended to a listener on the call in that they had asked me how to get into the subject and what i recommended to watch in terms of documentaries and such and i said you know a lot of people would dismiss stephen greer's work or stephen greer's documentaries there's a lot of people who don't like him as much as there are lots of people who do and i said you know what while i'm not particularly a massive fan of his and how he is at the moment i would say go and watch one of his documentaries and make up your own mind you know you have to kind of look at this huge playing field of ufos yourself and decide you know what's the right kind of path for you to take so um i don't think there's any harm in that like you say and, and yeah i'll always happily recommend what i think is is worthwhile for people so yeah completely is that fair that's fair and i i i like stephen greer but he his narrative is uh uh, this phenomenon, uh, non-human intelligence is all warm, fuzzy, and friendly, and I don't necessarily yeah. agree with that. He also said something that I think is fairly outrageous. He was talking about abductions, and he said that they're all um, they're all hoaxed, and it's it's yeah. uh, it's the military doing it. And that, that's outrageous. I mean, I 
and, and that is a concern of mine when disclosure happens. It's, I mean, all those people that uh, have been saying they've been abducted through the years are going to put their hand up and say, see, we told you so. And I, I just don't know that society is ready to accept, accept that. No, I, I agree with you. He's, he's very one-sided in his narrative, and that's where I have an issue. With anyone, to be honest, not that he he might be right, he might be wrong, but you've got to keep somewhat of an open mind and see both sides of a, a strange mystery. Um, I want to ask you one more question, John, just before we wrap up. Uh, I'm, I'm asking everyone the same question on this call in. In the year 2024, where we are right now, what would you like to see happen in the UFO topic that you would consider some form of progress? Well, I would like to see the Schumer Rounds Amendment um, actually come to fruition uh, in in its entirety. I I think a seven-year disclosure plan is the most prudent thing to do. I I, I don't think that's going to happen. Listening to uh, Daniel Sheehan, uh, what the plan is, according to him, is to bring witnesses forward. And so it's kind of like ripping the scab off. It's going to be a shock to people. But if he, in his opinion, if he does, if they do that enough times, it's going to make people very uncomfortable so that they may actually accept the seven year disclosure plan. And that's, that's what I'd like to see is a very careful, thoughtful disclosure to, to people. Excellent. I think that would be sensible. And John, I just want to ask, uh, the, the book isn't for sale, but it is, you mentioned to me, for people who want to read the story and read what you've put down. Did you want me to share that link within the description of the show? Or would you rather maybe people got in touch with you? Maybe, yeah. Uh, rather, than, rather than have you share it like that, if someone expressed an interest in reading it, uh, just let me know and I'll, I'll be happy to share the link with them. Excellent. Um, and do you want to give uh, an email address or how they could contact you? Sure. They can contact me at excellence at E-C-K-S-E-L-L-E-N-C-E at yahoo.com. Excellence at yahoo.com. I was going to say excellent, but John, thank you very much. You've shared that incredibly well, notes and all. Um, very eloquent. And thank you very much again for sharing your story and experience. Thank you for your interest and keep up the great work. You guys do a great job. Thanks, John. And keeping with the very international theme and flavour of the Colin, we're going to go all the way over to New Zealand. And I've got Ben joining me on the line. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Andy. Thank you for having me on the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, mate. Thanks for asking. Uh, listen, we've got a limited amount of time, uh, so let's let's get straight to it, Ben. The floor is yours. What is it you want to talk about? Um, so what I want to talk about is a couple of experiences that I've had recently. Um, if we had a bit more time, I'd go a bit more in depth and talk about quite a few different experiences, but I do understand that we are limited in time, so... I'll just skip to the more recent ones, which involve a couple of triangular craft that I've seen. Um, yeah, so just uh, as a slight bit of background. So in October last year, following watching your interview with Chris Bledsoe, I decided to see if I could make things appear, and it turns out that I could. Initially, they were just sort of flashes in the sky, and then a few orb-like things. And then earlier on this year, 
um, on uh, the 5th of January, I was out with a friend and we'd gone to Castle Hill, which is this place in New Zealand that is considered by the Dalai Lama to be the most spiritual place in the universe. And then after that, we went down to one of the local beaches. And when we got there, as soon as we got to the beach, everything felt a little bit strange, well, heightened, should I say. And then got down to the beach and we could see some orbs sitting on the water. And then we continued walking forward about 10 meters and then out to the left of us, there was what we, well, what I initially, my brain said helicopter floating above this orb. And then we just stood there watching it. Um, this would have been about 20 meters away and probably about 10 meters above the water. And then after about 10 seconds, my friend goes, don't think that's a helicopter, which I agreed. Um, the biggest telltale sign was there was no sound coming from it at all, or wind. And then, yeah, we just continued watching this craft and then it turned and just flew out over some trees and then landed, well, looked like it was descending into the trees. Mm -hmm. um, and my friend, this was at about midnight, so dark outside, my friend determined that it was a triangular shaped craft, although I hadn't been able to pick up on the shape of it myself. So that was the first time with this particular craft. The next night, I was down at another beach and then saw the same thing flying. So this, the second beach would have been about mm, 20 kilometers north of the, of the first beach they were at. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I saw the same craft flying towards the beach that we had been at the night before. Um, I got out my phone and started recording it and you could see it in the video. And then I said out loud, do you want to come closer? And as soon as I did, the, the craft disappeared from the recording. However, I could still see it with my own eyes, which was bizarre. I've got no idea what technology they're using to do that. Um, so I continued watching it and then determined that it had probably gone down about as far as the beach that I'd seen it the night before. Um, so decided to continue up the coastline to another beach, which I then had, had a feeling that I should go into another one of the beaches where we've got a coastline that's just got beach after beach after beach, dotted along it, and drove into this town called uh, Leafield Beach, and then as I got to the township, above my car, about 10 metres up, I saw the triangular craft fly directly over my car, heading out towards the beach. Um, so I then parked and then went out to the beach and then started a live stream on my YouTube channel, and then after about 10 minutes or so, saw the craft coming back direction again. So it had, had gone north and then was coming back. Uh, sorry, had gone south to the original beach and then was coming back my direction. This time it would have been about, I don't know, 50 plus meters up. It wasn't wasn't close anymore. Um, but I could quite clearly see the triangular shape of it. And then in the recording, um, I started to, to zoom in on it so that you could see it more clearly on the live stream. And on my phone, you could see it perfectly clearly, the triangular shape of the craft. 
Mm-hmm. But it turns out that on the live stream, as soon as I started zooming in, the quality completely dropped out so that it would just look like a whole pile of blur. And not only that, I was doing a screen recording and then live streaming the screen recording so that I could use my camera rather than the mm-hmm. video feature, which means that you could also see all the other icons on my phone. And so it wasn't just the video feed that crapped out with the quality it was also sure. all the icons okay um, and then once zooming back out again all the quality increased again so my assumption is that as soon as i zoomed in the craft just wiped out the quality which doesn't surprise me considering the level of quality of videos that we've got of ufos it seems that as soon as they're aware you are recording them or going to get something of good quality they do whatever they do to make it that you don't so yeah um and then lastly on that night after after finishing my live stream i drove back to my house i live about uh 20 minutes from where that beach is out in the Mm -hmm. middle of the country and got home put my stuff inside went back out to my car and there was two of these craft and just above the trees just next to my property just like both of them just sitting there seemingly observing the property i watched them for about five minutes and then both of them just went in different directions doing whatever they do so yeah that's my um well some of my recent experiences no thank you for sharing and you've put that across well and listen first off do you have the link for the youtube channel I'm more than happy to share that on the description for folks to go and check those out themselves. Because the first thing people ask is, can I see the video? Uh, yeah, you can do. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll, get that, I'll get that off you after uh, we, we record and I'll put it in the description. So if anyone's listening to that, wants to go and check those out, you can have a click uh, on the link for that channel. That would be great. Um, why do you think, I suppose the obvious question that comes to my mind straight away is, why do you think you, you seem to have so much attention on you from these craft um well so i think it's because i've been putting attention on trying to get them to appear so after after listening to chris bledsoe and then um then diana pasolka and listening to how they describe that people who are wanting these things to appear that are open-minded enough to accept that they're probably real that then they Mm -hmm. will show up so i just decided to sort of use a, a mixture of different methods that people use but essentially just going outside and saying hey if you want to show up i would be more than happy to see you guys um and so that's what i was doing back in october and it took weeks for them to show up but now more recently um pretty much any night that i do that something will show up it seems to be when i'm with other people is when the really incredible stuff happens um well, i've had a lot of just insane experiences when i'm hanging out with friends whereas by myself it seems to be far smaller events um which i'm not entirely certain as to the reason for that because it seems for most experiences they have like the crazy stuff happening just to them and then when they're with their friends they yeah. don't really get to show off anything um I was literally just thinking that, that usually you would expect it to be the other way around. And I suppose folks would do well, of course, it's when it's you on your own, it's, it's more, you know, incredible, but you're getting it the other way. So that, what have your friends' reactions been to these? 
Um, pretty mind blown. Like, so the ones who are a bit more open minded, it's with them that have had the more insane experiences. I've had a couple of friends who are a little bit on the fence and we've still seen some pretty cool stuff, but like the triangular craft, that friend is very open minded. Um, with another friend through an orb that was about the size of the moon, and he's also very open minded. Whereas uh, other friends who are slightly less, well, not, not open minded, but maybe a bit more scared of the idea, we'll see a couple of like things in the sky that will flash in response to us. Um, so, as to, I, I, I do get the feeling with the things that I'm seeing that they're aware of what we're talking about, what we're thinking about, and if they pick up on someone being scared, they don't want to freak them out. If they pick up on someone being skeptical, they'll put themselves out there in a way that a skeptical mind could easily debunk it by going, well, you know, it probably was just a satellite, even if the evidence points the other way. And then if someone's quite open-minded or just is, well, not open-minded, but, but realizes that there probably is stuff out there, then they're happy to go, yeah, you were right all along. Um, here we are. So I think that's why when I'm with friends that want to see it, we've got like two people keen to see what's going on. And that's when they show up in greater number or with, with more incredible experiences. How do you plan in carrying on with this? So right now you've had you've had success in, in whether you want to call it CE5, human initiated contact, whatever you want to call it. Do you plan on keeping it going? Have you got an idea of where you want to progress this to? Yeah, absolutely. So my plan is to continue showing people and eventually, if, if everything falls into place, go around the world and show anyone that is interested in seeing stuff, well, I'll show them the experience, similar to kind of what Chris Bledsoe was doing, except for he's definitely doing it through the orbs kind of thing, whereas my style is whatever wants to show up can show up. And I think based on that is why I've had such wacky experiences rather than just orbs every night. Um, so that's my plan is to to kind of do a New Zealand tour and then a world tour and also do live streaming of the, of the craft. I haven't done a live stream in a couple of weeks just because I've been focusing on some other things in life, which is important to the preparation of being able to fund um going and showing people and so that's my plan with that let me ask you one more question ben i'm asking everyone on the call in the same thing to wrap up in 2024 what would you like to see happen in the ufo subject that you would consider some form of progress oh that is a good question my view is that disclosure will come at an individual level and government level disclosure will be phenomenal just to the degree that it will allow people to go out and have their own experience. But I think as far as, as far as like the government and legislation goes in US and around the world, it'd be great for an acknowledgement so that people are no longer going, now that's bullshit. And so you can kind of skip the entry level conversation. But as far as um, full disclosure, I would love for as many people as possible to have their own experience so that they can then um, know that this is real and then share it with other people, which is exactly what I'm doing. 
Awesome. Well, Ben, best of luck with that. It's a it's a, a very modern approach, I think, to the UFO subject and what's been done in the past. And I think maybe 15, 20 years ago, the idea of live streaming these things might have seemed a bit out there, whereas now it's the most common thing to do. It's I think it's the new writing a book or starting a magazine for, for the modern generation. So best of luck, mate. And uh, if you can share that link with me for the YouTube channel, I'll pop it in the description as well for folks to check those out. OK. Awesome. Thank you very much, Andy. Have a good Thanks, day. Ben. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium. YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk.